This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Well, hello there. It's Wednesday, October the 12th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, automation and artificial intelligence. They're being hailed as a new way of potentially delivering disability services. But are they really viable? Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller will contemplate that question with me. You'll also get a demonstration of the iPhone 14 Plus and the Google Pixel 7. Marco Flalo has his hands on those smartphones. And the federal government is trying to regulate Canadian content online with Bill C-11. Kevin Shaw will share his thoughts. I've got a whole bunch of interesting sound clips to play for you. We're also marking the passing of Angela Lansbury. I don't oftentimes do the celebrity death thing, but that one, that one hit me. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. I'll explain why. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. And as it's been so many times over the course of the last six to eight months, we're talking about energy. And starting in Europe, a leak has been detected in an oil pipeline in Poland. Charles de Ledesma has the latest. The Polish operator Pern says it detected a leak in the Druzba pipeline, which originates in Russia on Tuesday evening, about 45 miles from the central Polish city of Plock, adding the cause of the leak isn't at this point known. Firefighters are working out of the site of the leak. The incident follows leaks late last month in the Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipelines running along the Baltic seabed. I'm Charles Diladesma. And while we're over in Europe, let's hear from NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg discussing the 30-nation military alliance holding a long-planned exercise next week to test the state of its readiness of nuclear capabilities. Stoltenberg says the nuclear exercise happens every year. It uh, would send a very wrong signal if we suddenly now cancelled a routine, long-time planned exercise because of the war in Ukraine. That will be absolutely the wrong signal to send. The exercise involves fighter jets capable of carrying nuclear warheads, but does not involve any live bombs. Let's come back to Canada. Looks like uh, Saskatchewan and the federal government are butting heads yet again. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe says he is prepared to take legal action over federal regulations on pollution. Moe says his Saskatchewan party government will soon take steps to maintain control over electricity, as well as emissions from fertilizer and oil and gas production. And ultimately, we're going to be looking at legislation that is going to uh, defend and protect uh, the opportunity that we have uh, to expand our, our, our jobs, to expand uh, the size of our communities and ultimately expand our province. Premier Mo argues that Saskatchewan is paying more from federal environmental laws than other provinces. A finance ministry cost analysis shows the province could lose $111 billion by 2035. Let's go from butting heads to partnerships. Rio Tinto, you know them, they make aluminum foil, amongst other things. 
They're partnering with the Canadian government to invest up to $737 million over the next eight years to decarbonize its operations in Sorel-Tracy, Quebec. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the project will create jobs and reduce greenhouse gases. This announcement, along with so many others we've already made, shows concretely that a healthy economy and a healthy environment can and indeed must go hand in hand. The partnership is expected to utilize technological innovations that could reduce emissions from the company's titanium dioxide, steel and metal powders business by up to 70 percent. And let's pivot over to climate, although this is more of the food insecurity side of climate. But let's begin here, where Tunisians are feeling the impact as global food prices hover near all-time highs. Megan Williams has that story. Shoppers in Tunisia try to buy sugar in the capital, Tunis. The North African country has been hit with soaring food prices and shortages of basic staples in recent weeks, threatening to turn into political protest. It's not possible to live without food, says this woman. Sugar, vegetable oil and rice often disappear from stores with people lining up for hours. Food prices have been high since March after Russia invaded Ukraine and interrupted trade routes. More than 500 Tunisian migrants have died this year trying to cross here to Italy. Hundreds of others have been pushed back by the Coast Guard. Megan Williams, ABC News, Rome. As always, after I bombard you with a bunch of negative news, I like to finish on a different note. So let's go out to outer space. And it's a follow-up on a story from a few weeks ago. Remember I was telling you about NASA shooting a spacecraft into the sky? And not just the sky, into space to nudge an asteroid to see if they could knock an asteroid off off its course, out of its orbit. Well, NASA has confirmed that the spacecraft they sent into, into the depths of the sky knocked the harmless asteroid into a new orbit. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson explains just how slim the margin error was for this operation. NASA successfully crashed a refrigerator-sized spacecraft into the asteroid Dimorphos, seven million miles from Earth, and it came in at 14,000 miles an hour, and it was a bullseye. NASA can hit an asteroid from seven million miles away, and yet I sometimes still miss the toilet. Some folks are just created different. Some folks are built different. And gosh darn, NASA knows what they're doing. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. You can vote on the polls. You can get involved in the comments section. You can share it with your friends. You can get into flame wars. Although we don't, we don't advise flame wars. We, we like to be, you know, positive. Yesterday we asked you, what makes you feel better when you're sick? Oh my goodness. 91% of you said rest. 0% of you said tea. 9% of you said soup. And 0% of you said exercise. No exercise for you guys when you're feeling ill. That's okay. I get it. Let's get to today's daily poll. We'll be talking about Canadian content and especially in the entertainment industry with Kevin Shaw a little bit later in the show. But I want to get the ball rolling now as we contemplate where Canadian content fits into your consumption habits, into your lifestyle and the importance 
of Canadian content. So at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. The question is fairly straightforward, but I'm hoping for a little bit of complexity as we discuss this a couple times on the show today. I'm asking how important is Canadian content to you when it comes to entertainment? Very, somewhat, or not at all? I think this question could tend to be a little bit polarizing because it fundamentally begs a question. What is Canadian content? Is it purely content made by a Canadian? Or does it have to tell some kind of unique Canadian story? And then that further begs the question, what is a Canadian story? The story that you may tell from the Miramichi in New Brunswick may be radically different than the story you're going to tell in Southern Alberta. The story you tell in northern Manitoba is going to be different than the story you tell from southern Ontario. Heck, even southern Ontario to eastern Ontario, you're going to get a different story. Forget even crossing regions of a province. Crossing neighborhoods in a city, you're going to get a different story. The story you're going to tell that is the story of Côte de Neige in Montreal is going to be drastically different than the story of LaSalle or Beaconsfield. So I find these this notion of what is a Canadian story to be fascinating Does it just need to be created by a Canadian or take place in Canada for it to be a Canadian story? I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm I'm just spitballing. I don't even really know where I land on the spectrum here. I'm probably going to fall in the somewhat category because in entertainment, we also think about the music industry. And Canadian music has had a huge place in my life, especially in the late 90s. The renaissance of Canadian hard rock. The Our Lady Pieces and the Matthew Goods and the Moists and the Tea Parties and the I Mother Earths. That was some rock and roll, man. That was some real stuff there. So how important is Canadian content when it comes to entertainment for you? Let's pass the baton over to Alex Smythe. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, for me, Dave, um, I, I kind of had that same question uh, that you kind of already posed where it's like, how do you define Canadian content? I, I initially just think of television. I mean, we have so many great TV shows, especially in the era of streaming, where you just open up the level of storytelling so much. And we have this thing in Toronto and Vancouver, you know, these are the Hollywood Norths, quote unquote, that it's like you have all these American companies coming up using Canadian crews, filming almost exclusively in Canada. But the money and the backing is all American. It's from Netflix. It's from Prime. It's from all these major networks. Is that Canadian content? I don't know. You know, they're disguising Toronto, Hamilton, Vancouver, uh, Calgary as different places in the States. Does that then disqualify it from being Canadian? Or because you still use the crews and you're still injecting the money into the region, does it become Canadian? I don't know. I, I I think when you mention music, music becomes a lot more clearer of a picture it's it's you're going to have canadian bands making music in the area they're going to be from uh from the region and they're going to be having their music listened to by uh, canadians in the region so for me it's very important everything about celebrating canadian entertainment is hugely important because if we don't we're so easily dominated in entertainment by our neighbors to the south the americans they, their their cultural impact is so huge that we need to protect our canadian identity when it comes to our storytelling our music our our tv our our movies our, our film production we have so many canadians within the industry doing great work but we also need to make sure that we protect all levels of our our 
development because if we don't and with as you're going to talk about with Kevin Shaw the bill C11 it's trying to protect from American companies just zapping all the resources taking advantage of all the things we have here but telling just American stories and then going back to the US and then we're just inundated with American stories and there's nothing left from a Canadian's perspective, a Canadian lens. So it's hugely important to me. I, I, I don't want to dive too deep into the minutia yep. here, but there actually are formulas about what makes something Canadian content. Uh, in TV, there's multiple points to it. I would be here all day if I had to define them, but <laughs> music is easy. It's yeah. four things. It's called maple. Music, artist, production, lyrics. And you need three of four for it to be considered Canadian content. So very famously, the Brian Adams song, uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember what it's called. Uh, well, see, this is this is the problem when I try to remember <laughs> things on the spot. But there was a very popular Brian Adams song in the 1980s where the only thing Canadian about it was Brian Adams. The music, the production, the lyrics were all done by somebody else. So it actually didn't count as Canadian content, very famously, very famously so. And I'm going to have to look up uh, what song that was uh, during the commercial break. I'm going to bring in Eliza Rocco on this one as well. Eliza, we've already gas bagged quite a bit between me and Alex. I'm very curious through your perspective on this one. Canadian content has become something that is very, very important to me. Before before I went to university um, and learned more about these things, it, I just never thought about, is this content Canadian or not? But after numerous years of school and working on film and television sets in Canada, it's become something I really take a lot of pride in. Um, of course, I still watch American shows. Everyone does. Hollywood is Hollywood yeah, for a reason, yeah. of course. But I do go purposely go out of my way to consume Canadian content. If 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 we don't do that, then we're going to lose these stories, and we're going to lose the opportunities to tell Canadian stories and reflect Canadians. So, as I understand, you want to watch these big American shows, but squeeze in a Canadian show every once in a while. They're really good, and I highly recommend. After I worked on a few myself, and from the production standpoint, they are super great. As do, well. you, do you want to shout out some of your work? Are you comfortable shouting out some of your work? Because I was going to take a moment to talk about <laughs> some of the more modern conceptions that have popped up here, right? We've had shows like Kim's Convenience and mm-hmm. Schitt's Creek that have resonated well beyond Canadian borders. That oh, have yeah. been very, very popular, famous shows. But then you also have stuff like Hudson and Rex, which gets filmed in Newfoundland. It gets filmed in St. John's. And Canadian actors come from all across the country to take part in that show in roles big and small. My my cousin's wife has been out there for like a month doing Hudson and Rex as well as some other um, Lifetime movies over the course of the last month. And we're going to be talking about what it means for the industry with Greg David on Friday's show. So there's going to be a thread that connects this conversation, not just through today's show, but through Friday's as well. Sorry, Eliza, I asked you a question that I post-ambled, yes. a preamble post-amble. <laughs> Do you want to shout out some of the work that you've done here on this national platform? Yes. So the biggest Canadian one I've done, uh, there is a certain uh, kids show coming out on Apple TV in the next few oh. months. Oh. They've changed the name a few times. Okay. So I'm not sure what okay. the name is currently, but uh, I was a producer's assistant on that. Uh, really got to see a lot of behind the scenes and 
It was produced by an amazing team of Canadians, Canadian producers, Canadian, like, everything in that team. So something I'm really proud of and really excited. When I do find out the name and it comes closer to the launch, <laughs> maybe I'll uh, promote it a bit. But right I'm really excited about that. It's yeah, going to be great. Very, very cool. Eliza, thank you for this one. We appreciate it. In the meantime, why don't you join us on social media and vote on this poll? At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Of course, maybe social media is not your thing. You can always reach out to the show via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and punch the number in here. We'll do it together. We'll do it together in real time. I'm going to pick up my phone right now, unlock it with my thumbprint. Here we go. I'm going to punch it in. one 866 5 Zero nine forty five forty five one eight six six five zero nine forty five forty five. Look, I'm gonna call myself right now. What up, Dave? You're doing a terrible job on the show today. Well, I call myself. Let's uh, bring in Alex Smythe for the national weather update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John, Newfoundland, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 12. Over in Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny and a high of 19. In Montreal, Quebec, it's mainly sunny as well, but cloud cover is rolling in in the afternoon and the high is 20. Over in Ottawa, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds, again with increasing cloud cover later, and a chance of rain this afternoon with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, 18 is the high. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers, and a special weather statement is in effect for winds that can reach up to 90 kilometers per hour. Oh, so boy. be careful out there. Exactly. Yeah, it was a surprise for me as well. And 18 is the high. Good thing I didn't wear my short skirt into work today. <laughs> exactly, Dave. It's going to be a windy one. Uh, over in Thunder Bay, Ontario, there's showers off and on today with a possible thunderstorm this morning, and 13 is the high. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy with possible showers and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high there is 9. In, Saskatch in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour and high of 13. In Calgary, Alberta, it's sunny and a high of 14. Edmonton, Alberta, it's the same thing. It's mainly sunny with a high of 14 there as well. Up in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's cloudy with a chance of flurries this morning and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour with a high of only two. Over to Vancouver, BC, it's sunny and a high of 18. And finally, in Victoria, B.C., it's sunny and a high of 19. So a lovely day out there. So that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, you will get a demonstration of the iPhone 14 Plus and the Google Pixel 7. Mark Aflalo, he got his hands on a couple of these phones. Mark gets his hands on all the phones. I can't imagine how many charging cables he has around the house. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. In the last segment, I called myself on my Samsung phone. Well, for the sake of being fair and including all the different phone companies, Mark Aflalo is here with his hands on the iPhone 14 Plus and the Google Pixel 7. Mark is also the host of Double Tap TV, which you can find Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hey, good morning, Mark. Dave, so nice to see you this morning. How are you? I'm good. It's always fun catching up with you on a Wednesday. Throw things uh, into a bit of a different mix. So, Mark, as, <laughs> as I mentioned, you got your hands on these, and you've given us a couple of demos in the last few weeks of a few of the different iPhone models. Well, now you've got yeah. the 14 Plus here, and Plus is the key word there because it's supposed that to is. be a hefty, a big boy, a big-boned phone. So, well, you know, it's a, how big it's is a big it? bone phone. It's a big bone phone, but it's not a big bone phone in terms of everything we're going to talk about. So let's start about, obviously, the noticeable difference, which right here, side by side with my my little iPhone Pro 14 Pro in my uh, in my left hand. Well, your, your screen right, let's call it that. Um, it's a noticeably larger display, and that really is what sets this phone apart. When I switch to the overhead cam here, you can see this side by side. It's like it's a bigger screen. We're going from 6.1 inches on the regular 14 in the 14 Pro to 6.7 inches diagonal. That is a lot more screen real estate when you talk about everything that goes on here. But, Dave, the noticeable difference is only there because when you talk about the actual dimensions, the height of this, obviously, yes, okay, you got six, you know, the 6.33 height versus 3.07 wide if you want to look at the actual minutia and the numbers. But this is actually a lighter device overall than the actual 14 and the 14 Pro because there's so much more battery capacity and so much more fitting into a smaller package that it's distributed better and you've got a better package overall. We're talking about 7.6. 16 ounces in your hand over here on the 14 Pro Max. And, you know, so, so really, it's it's all about the screen, you know, all about the base, all about the screen. Do you, uh, when you're using it, as you're trying to type, I don't know if you type with one hand on your phone, but do you yeah. find that it's too big for that? Do you find it's too unruly? You know, I'm, uh, I've got fairly big mitts. I got big hands. And yeah, I do find it kind of hard if you're trying to one hand type, and I'll switch back to reach over to the other edge of the screen. It's oh, kind of hard to do that. Oh, big stretch. You're urging. But that, that being said, it's really about how you hold it, right? If you're, if you're using two hands, you can kind of balance your weight a bit to make it a little bit easier for you to reach the other side. But also, that's the, uh, not the point. Using two hands, you can easily type on any kind of keyboard like that. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's something that I was used to because I was using a Pro Max on the 13 generation and I've switched down to the smaller size, which by the way, I'm not missing the Pro size as much as I mm. thought I would be. That being said, you know, when it comes to accessibility and being able to blow things up on the screen and get more on that screen real estate, the the Max, the, the Pro Max and the Pro version of this phone is really a bonus because you get all that extra screen real estate. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely, I definitely am someone who likes to pump up my zoom technology and pump up my font sizes. So a little more screen goes, goes a long way for yeah. these, these big old hands. Mark, we've talked about these iPhones pretty extensively on the show over the course of the last six weeks or so, or so, but were there any particular features of this particular larger model that you really liked? I got, I got to be perfectly honest with you, Dave, and the answer is no, not really. This is pretty much the same phone that we've come accustomed to. The software is the same. It's iOS 16 across the board. So when it comes to the hardware, other than getting that larger screen and therefore that larger battery life, 
there's no real redeeming factor in getting this phone over the other phones, you know? The Pro and the Pro Max have that better camera, so there are a couple features on board and a brighter screen that might give you a, a reason, might push you over the edge in terms of getting that device. But if you're just looking for that regular, I just need the phone, I wanna just, you know, do what I do on a regular day, daily basis, it really comes down to screen size and portability. If you're out there traveling a lot and you've got need that all day battery life, you're gonna go for you're gonna go for the plus size. If you don't and you're gonna be places where you can charge it a lot, then the smaller one is just fine for you. But as I said, really it comes down to your individual use and especially when we're talking about accessibility, I would absolutely go with this one with the plus because it's just a much larger screen. You can get way more onto that real estate, especially when you zoom things in. Mark, just just for the sake of it, give me the price. I feel like I feel <laughs> like I feel like sometimes we do this in this segment where we're always asking about the price. Frankly, people don't care. Know. People don't care. Like they're, they're, oh, they're going to buy it. They're they going to mm. if they're going to buy it, they're going to buy it. If they're busting out the visa, they're busting out the visa. I don't know, Dave, because, you know, you can, you know, back in the day, you'd be able to get these phones for zero dollars with your carrier and extend your contract for, you know, 17 million yeah. years. <laughs> Nowadays, you're paying a little bit more because there's less subsidies around there. Uh, starting price for the 128 gig model is a $1,249 Canadian uh, available in, in the blue, purple, midnight, starlight, product red, which is what I have in my hands here. And this can go up to 1669 if you get the 512 gig model 512 gig model yeah that's pretty um i don't know you know you got to you got to you got to wonder you know they just announced a new meta headset yesterday for that price hey so, hey don't, don't 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 spoil it i'm playing that in tech trends later in the hour don't spoil okay, oh, don't sorry. spoil don't spoil say, the meta did not say a word did yeah you didn't we we've, we never <laughs> we didn't know anything about the meta headset until Dari oh, headset. Al, until Dari Albinger tells us about it in tech trends then we'll know Understood. then we'll know about the then we'll know about the meta headset that's $1500 pulling US back, pulling back the curtain <laughs> pulling back the curtain a little bit on this one mark the other one that you've got your hands on here that I'm actually genuinely curious to hear about because the iPhone is so ubiquitous that yeah. it, it goes wall to wall. And I know we had you on the show when I was sick last week talking about the Google Pixel news pretty much as it was coming out live. Yeah. So you've got the Pixel 7 in your hands. What are your impressions of it? I do, and I'm holding it up to the camera right now next to my iPhone Pro Max. So you can see that it is a, it's a thinner device than the iPhone. It's a lighter device than the iPhone. And this is the Pro, uh, the, the the Pixel 7, not the Pixel 7 Pro. Um, but screen real estate is bigger. Um, it's got a vibrant, beautiful display. The design is a nice matte black finish on the sides. The camera bump is not as present as the iPhone. It's a little bit more subdued. It also goes across the entirety of the back. So it's actually more uniform. It's not just this corner that sticks out, which means when you're putting it down on a table, you're not going to get that off-balance kind of feel to it. This version has only two cameras on it, plus a bunch of sensors and a flash on the back, whereas the Pro model has a three-camera system, a nice glossy black you know, back to get all your fingerprints nice and dirty on. <laughs> uh, you've got that sleep-wake button on the right side with a volume rocker, a oh, uh, built-in you know, built fingerprint love, reader behind the screen. I love me the button on the right. I love me oh, the wake on. button on the right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, tactile. 
Yeah, but I mean, I mean, there's a lot about this particular device uh, that sets it apart, and really, it starts with a lot of a lot of software, uh, some hardware, which we're going to get into. The hardware is really the new Tensor G2 processor, which brings you know people say, okay, who cares about a processor? But it has a lot of AI elements involved, which means that when you're using your assistant and you're searching and you're doing voice commands, it's going to be a lot more responsive, a lot quicker. Live translation gets quicker. Adaptive noise cancellation on the Pixel Buds gets a lot more, a lot better, more enhanced. Um, you know, on the software side, you've got free Google VPN to ensure privacy. You've got on-device voice typing, which uh, Google says is two and a half times faster than actually typing with your fingers. I mean, quick phrases. This is something not available on the other line, and that is your ability. Normally, you'd have to say, hey, um, and initiate that assistant. Now you don't have to. So when your alarm's going off, you can just say snooze. Uh, you could say things like oh, uh, no, decline, no, no. decline that's, when that's, the phone rings. That, the, just saying snooze is not going to work. <laughs> for me because that's going to get a, that's going to be too easy the, this me and the snooze oh, already on. have a bit of a bit of a bitter relationship <laughs> it's listen it, it's what makes it smarter um and i know i know what you're going to ask me next so i'm going to let you you ask me next and oh. then i'm going to show you a, a luddite doing something it's kind I'm, of fun i'm gen- i'm genuinely curious <laughs> is this about the new assisted selfie mode this is. It's called Guided Frame, okay? This is something that during the keynote, a good friend of this show and a good friend of all the shows, Molly Burke, was featured talking about Guided Frame. Oh, Molly which B. Is, yeah, it, a really cool feature which lets you really direct your face and take perfect selfies, something that people with low vision uh, obviously have a, a difficult task. Now, what I'm going to do right now is something that uh, is extremely embarrassing. So what I'm going to do is switch to the overhead camera. I'm going to actually go into the settings and turn on TalkBack, which is their their screen reader. Okay, I'm going to do that here with you. And this is someone who, by the way, have used TalkBack for about, I don't know, 15 minutes before today. So we go into accessibility, we go to TalkBack, and we turn TalkBack on. Okay, once you turn TalkBack on, it enables some of the features like that guided frame. So we're going to go back to the beginning, which, by the way, thankfully, Stephen Scott told me how to navigate when TalkBack is on. Uh, you got to make that backwards L kind of feature. And then when you go into the camera, you can either go into the camera itself or press and hold it, and it'll go into what's called selfie mode. So we're going to double tap and hold it. You see, this is this is where it's just embarrassing. So I'm going to go into the camera. I'm going to try to go into the camera. Um, and once you actually get into the camera, this is there we go. I'm in the hey, camera Hey, we're in. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is I I, I preface this right. Uh, then you you go into the selfie mode by pressing and holding the kind of reverse button. This is just this is just embarrassing. Okay, so now the second that that's enabled, it goes into guided frame mode. A circle appears on the screen that's red, and as you get perfectly framed, it walks you through this. It's talking. I'll hold to the mic. So it's telling you when the face is in frame, and when it is, I'm going to go sideways. It starts taking the selfie. It counts down three, two, one. And it takes it. And so it held me perfectly. Yeah, exactly. It held me perfectly in frame. It has a red circle around my face until it's perfectly in frame. Then when you get it perfect, it goes yellowish. It does the countdown, takes the picture, and boom. And we're done. Really, really cool feature. It's a really cool feature that I, I think will definitely change the game for people who are trying to take really good selfies with this device. I'm just afraid the robot's going to tell me that you ate too many French fries on the weekend, Dave. We cannot uh, actually give you a good selfie. Pay big chin boy. Uh, Mark, 
I know it's only been a couple of days. Well, in the, in the case of the iPhone, it's been it's been what six weeks now, or yeah, about a day. month or so. I know. Well, the, no, hang on, hang on. Not with the Plus. The Plus has only been out since Friday. Oh, okay, so okay. So, it, so in both these cases, these phones have not been out very long. Yeah. What's the early impression? What's the early reception that critics and fans are having? Well, a lot of people are when they talk about the iPhone Plus. A lot of people are saying that if you compare these to the Pro models, this is definitely the 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 regular 14 is the one to go for. It's the one to upgrade to because you don't necessarily need all that processing and all that power, and that that, that comes with the price point on on the Pro and the Pro Max models. So that's what people are saying on that, and they're saying that the Plus is definitely a welcome re-addition to the family because, as you know, last year we had the Mini, they got rid of the Plus, and people have really kind of showed it with their dollars that the Mini wasn't a very successful device mm. that's great on the iphone side on the pixel 7 side i really i'm loving this phone i'm loving the design i'm loving the feel of it in my hand i'm loving the screen i love going back to android but like raw base android that doesn't have all that bloatware that samsung and other manufacturers bring mm -hmm. to it mm -hmm. it's really comfortable in the hand and i'm really digging the design <laughs> i love that i get like 17 different cloud notifications every day on my samsung phone well, it's like do you want to be part of the microsoft <laughs> cloud do you want part of the samsung cloud oh, what about God. the google cloud you know we can create new clouds for you if you like mr brown uh yeah there's definitely a bit of bloat on that machine there's no doubt yeah. no doubt about it uh mark here's where i think it actually is worth asking about the price because oftentimes the pixel is marketed as a slightly more affordable option what is what's it com what's it coming in at so if you buy this directly from google unlocked 7.99 reasonable like yeah, that's half, it's a, half the half the price of the iPhone 14 Plus. <laughs> yeah. If you come to think about it, with a screen size that's you know pretty on par with what you're getting on a Plus model of another device, plus all the Google features there, not bad. But there are a lot of subsidies with this one. If you search online, try to find the price. Every carrier has a different a different price model, a different design. But if you want to buy direct from Google, it's $7.99. Mark, one last thought before I let you go today. And by the way, we appreciate all the work that you do for us. We really appreciate getting this hands-on, these demonstrations. It's nice to talk to a man on the inside, the man with the inside scoop. I uh, try. I've been nerding out the last couple of days with playing a video game from the 1990s. Did you know they reskinned Warcraft 2 so it can be played for Windows 10? I did. I actually knew that because um, a good friend of mine, Mitchell, he's a big Warcraft guy. And when he found out about this, he was all over it. It was like a flashback, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I downloaded it Monday afternoon at 4 yeah. p.m. I've logged at least 20 hours of play since Monday at 4 in the afternoon. I'll let That's you guys funny. figure out the math. Uh, here we are Tuesday, uh, Wednesday at about 9.30 a.m. Uh, we've logged some hours on this one. Yeah, you know, thankfully we can we don't see it in the performance of the, on the show. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but I'll blame it on the cold from last week. Mark. Yeah, yeah we, do that. We never blame anything on you. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you again Thanks. next week. Thanks, Dave. That's Mark Aflalo, one of the co-hosts of Double Tap TV, which you can find Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Coming up next, I've got the regional news update. But first, let's get to the Canadian Press Morning Business Minute with Karen Rebo.
Canada's main stock index lost another 2% in Tuesday trading as it caught up to Wall Street's decline on our Thanksgiving holiday Monday. Toronto's TSX index lost 366 points yesterday to close at 18,216. New York's Dow Jones average added 36 points yesterday and the Nasdaq gave back 115. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index slipped just four points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 72.44 cents U.S. Canada Post is expanding pilot programs it launched last fall and is offering loans as part of a partnership with TD Bank Group. It says the My Money program is designed to provide more financial options for Canadians, including in rural, remote and Indigenous communities. Economists say Alberta's latest campaign to attract workers to the province by touting its cheaper home prices and many job opportunities is a healthy way to promote competition. But Mike Moffitt, an assistant prof at Western University, warns an influx of new residents could drive up home prices. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Just before we get into the regional news update, I did want to play some sound from Deputy Prime Minister Krisha Freeland. Freeland was in Washington yesterday speaking at the Brookings Institute. The Deputy Prime Minister stressed the importance for economic cooperation between Canada and the U.S. We will friendshore more quickly and effectively if we work together to develop shared approaches and if we make an explicit commitment to each other to implement them. And crucially, we must then be prepared to spend some domestic political capital in the name of economic security. Freeland does note that that kind of economic connectivity comes with high expectations. But if we are to tie our economies even more closely together, we must be confident that we will all follow the rules in our trade with each other, even and especially when it would be easier not to. Domestically in Canada, of course, that impacts energy policy. Here's what Freeland said. Canada must and will show similar generosity in fast-tracking. For example, the energy and mining projects our allies need to heat their homes and to manufacture electric vehicles. All right, those are some notes from the Deputy Prime Minister. Now let's get to the regional news update. The B.C. Assembly of First Nations is launching a new Centre for Excellence in First Nations Economic Development with the goal of advancing economic reconciliation. Regional Chief Terry Teague says in a statement the Centre will multiply the investments First Nations are making to close the socioeconomic gap and bring prosperity. The Centre will launch with six employees with plans to grow and aims to support First Nations in setting and delivering economic development goals. The B.C. government is also giving $1.2 million to the Assembly to support the launch. From a very serious story to a bit of a strange one, an insect expert says an invasive stink bug known for destroying apple crops is likely benefiting from the unseasonably warm weather in British Columbia. Warren Wong studied the brown marmorated stink bug while completing his master's at Simon Fraser University. He says the pest creates plenty of problems, but its smell, eh, not so bad. This might be a thing where uh, you got to love your work. And for some people, uh, they may find the stink bug very stinky. Uh, but for me, I, I don't find it repulsive at all. It smells like uh, freshly cut grass. 
The brown marmorated stink bug has also been reported in Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, PEI, since it was first detected in Canada 12 years ago. Let's head over to the prairies. We mentioned this on the show yesterday. Danielle Smith has been sworn in as Alberta's new premier. Premier Smith says health care reform is one of her top priorities, and she intends to change management of Alberta's health services. So this is a management problem. It is not a problem with our frontline workers. Our frontline workers need to be supported. And what happens in a, in a business, when they fail to meet targets and they fail to meet direction, you change the management. And so that's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to change the management. Smith says she hopes to have a timeline for health care reform completed in 90 days. Premier Smith also shared some thoughts about the difficulties COVID-19 vaccine mandates caused people. I don't think I've ever experienced a situation in my lifetime where a person was fired from their job or not allowed to watch their kids play hockey or not allowed to go visit a loved one in long-term care or hospital or not allowed to go get on a plane to either go across the country to see family or even travel across the border. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Let's head over to Manitoba, where that government plans to impose stiffer penalties on motorists who ignore warning signs and drive on closed roads. Transportation Minister Doyle Punuk says the province is responding to a call from the RCMP who have had to deal with motorists who drive around barricades and get caught in flooded roadways. When it comes to police officers, to paramedics, we want to make sure that people stay off the highways when they're actually closed because the fact is it puts everybody else at risk, especially first responders. The proposed bill would impose fines of up to $2,000 or one year in jail for operators of most private vehicles. For buses and some larger vehicles, the maximum penalty would be $5,000 or one year in jail. Let's head over to Ontario, where the Ontario Medical Association says about 400,000 fewer mammograms to screen for breast cancer were performed in the province during the pandemic. Don Kelly takes a closer look. Although screenings have returned to normal levels, the association's warning the decrease in testing has led to cases of breast cancer that were more advanced at the time of diagnosis, prompting concerns about undiagnosed cases. The OMA says about half of breast cancer cases diagnosed at the Ottawa hospital before the pandemic were detected through mammograms, a number that fell to less than a third during the pandemic. It says survival rates of women with breast cancer decline if detection of the disease is delayed. Don Kelly, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And another story out of Ontario, some workers in the province can now demand to know how their employer is using electronic tools to monitor them at work. John Kennedy explains. As of today in Ontario, employers with 25 or more staff must have a policy outlining how, when and why they electronically monitor their workers. The province legislated the requirement back in April and employers had six months to draft a policy. Examples of electronic monitoring included tracking the websites an employee visits during work hours or monitoring the GPS on a driver's delivery truck. The policy did not establish new privacy rights for workers. John Kennedy, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And let's pop into Atlantic Canada, where Nova Scotia health officials are embarking on a tour of 17 communities over the next two months to get feedback feedback on how to proper, how to improve the province's health care system. Health Minister Michelle Thompson, Deputy Minister Janine Legasse, and Nova Scotia Health CEO Karen Oldfield will hold community conversations starting October the 19th. People who are unable to attend in person can submit questions online. The first session will be held in Windsor. 
And finally, we find ourselves in New Brunswick, where that government says there will be free bacterial testing of water from private wells that were directly affected by Hurricane Fiona. People can pick up water sampling kits at the nearest service New Brunswick Center or at the regional department of the environmental offices. Officials say before a well can be tested, they must be flushed with chlorine and water samples submitted to the service. New Brunswick will be sent to a lab in Moncton for testing. That's it for the regional news update. Coming up next, children from the, children from the blind and low vision community can take part in the Dear Mrs. Claus writing contest. Donna Johnhead will tell you all about it. But first, Meta is showing off their new virtual reality headset. Daria Albinger gets three-dimensional in tech trends. At its annual Connect Conference Tuesday, Meta showed off a new virtual reality headset, the Quest Pro. Much higher in graphics, it does mixed reality, has a different kind of design, and it's also a lot more expensive. In gadgets, Carissa Bell says the $1,500 device is built to run 3D virtual programs. Wearers can immerse themselves in a variety of games, as well as Meta's own VR social network, Horizon Worlds. And Meta also announced integrations with companies like Microsoft and Zoom. They're trying to make a case that this is something that can be used in a corporate environment for office workers. It's all part of the company's aspirations for the metaverse, an idea where we all use digital avatars to access a three-dimensional internet. It's what company CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the future of being online will look like. With Tech Trends, I'm Daria Albinger, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It is starting to feel a lot like Christmas. Actually, no, no, it's not. It was over 20 degrees in Toronto yesterday. It's over 30 degrees in the studio right now because the air conditioning is still broken. Just because it might be a bit too early to put up the lights or trim the tree doesn't mean that kids can't inclusively get the chance to be into the holiday spirits and Getting letters up to the North Pole for Santa and Mrs. Claus is always a good idea. Better to be ahead of the game. Donna Jothan is one of the organizers of the Dear Mrs. Claus Children's Writing Contest and is here to uh, tell you a little bit more about it. Donna, so nice to chat with you. Thank you for making the time. Thank you very much for having me. Donna, let's start with the contest in broad strokes. What is Mrs. Claus asking kids from the blind, vision impaired and deafblind community to do? Well, the kids have to be 12 and under. There are two categories, one for seven and under and one for eight to 12. And Mrs. Claus and her elves would like to hear from them. And there's specific questions that Mrs. Claus has put out there, you know, testing their creativity, their imagination, and what they can do to save the world and also ask Mrs. Claus and her husband to help save the world. Mm. What are some of those differences that are being that are being asked from the kids in regards to diff- the different age groups? Well, for the seven and unders, we want to, them to use their imaginations. For example, like how would Santa Claus uh, navigate his, his sleigh? And with the older ones, we want to know what kinds of technological or technical um, devices Santa Claus could use on his sleigh. 
I, I loved that uh, one of the questions that's been asked for the older kids is how would Santa modernize his sleigh? How would you modernize Santa's sleigh? So Donna, if I, if I posed the question to you, how would you modernize Santa's sleigh? Well, you know, what I would do, I would have other reindeers, other, um, other uh, characters in addition to reindeers. And then also have some very, very specific electronic devices that will help Santa Claus to navigate the world so that he can avoid, you know, those areas that are dangerous and he could go about his business. So children can submit their letter electronically or via Braille. So how do kids and their parents go about submitting the letter? And this one's important too. When's the deadline? So the deadline for doing this is, I think, November the 28th. And what they do, they can send their electronic versions to letters to Mrs. Claus 700 at gmail.com. And if they wish to submit a Braille letter, they can write to the same email address, letting us know they wish to uh, submit a Braille letter. And what we'll do, we'll provide them with a mailing address that they can use to submit their Braille letter. Donna, this this question may be a little bit self-evident, but I but it's important to ask it. What does it mean to make sure that kids of all abilities are able to participate in this Christmas tradition? I think what it means to us, to Mrs. Claus and her elves, is that we're giving children the opportunity to, you know, use their imaginations, use their voices, because so often a lot of these places, you know, the, the research like Sick Kids Hospital they don't have any such uh, types of programs for kids who are blind, vision impaired, and deaf blind to do this. So we're giving them the opportunity, kids from around the world, to do this. Where should folks go to find out more? Okay, so they can go to www.donnajodhan.com and they go to uh, that website, donnajodhan.com slash letters to uh slash to letters dash to dash mrs call dear gosh (laughs) donna it's it's all good because you know we're we're, after the show we're going to put it up on the blog ami.ca slash now i think that one's going to be easy for folks to remember ami.ca slash now we're going to post that up and also i'm sure folks just go to your website i'm sure the the hyperlink's going to be super available because the the the, the contest only just started uh yesterday yesterday that's right I'm, I apologize. <laughs> oh no, pff, Donna! Believe me, you should you should have seen me stumbling all over the script during the course of this hour of the show. Um, <laughs> well, wait, I, I should I should actually I should make sure I ask this question because there are there yeah. are some chances to win prizes here. What does yes. what do some of the winners get if their if their letters uh, sort of uh, meet the moment? First prize is two hundred and fifty dollars Canadian. Second prize is $150 Canadian. And third prize is $50 Canadian. So for each category, there are three winners in each category. Oh, and they will be recognized across the social media networks. Oh, I love that. That's such It's such a great idea. I hope kids are already getting uh, getting the pencils and pens out or getting the braillers ready or heading over I to the keyboard so. and, and getting those letters <laughs> in. It's a really great idea. Donna, Thank while you. I've got you here, I want to ask you some rapid-fire Christmas questions. Are you cool with that? Of course, go right ahead. <laughs> Even though it's October, we'll get ahead of the game here. Yeah, so, why not? So, Donna, when is the appropriate time to put up lights in the tree? You know, some people put them up all year round. I think as soon as uh, Halloween is over, put them up. 
cut them up fast. This one's going to be controversial, Donna. I can already I can already sense the hate mail coming in. Eggnog, yay or nay? Sorry, say that again. Eggnog, yay or nay? Oh, I'm I'm you're cutting out on me. Oh, you know you know what I was I was asking about eggnog. Did, did, are, oh, are you a fan I of love, eggnog? Oh, yes or no? I love I love eggnog, but put a lot of rum in it for me. <laughs> now we're talking <laughs> my language. Uh, my favorite part of uh, Christmas, Donna, is the music. What's your favorite yeah. traditional carol? Um, I think my traditional favorite carol is Silent Night. It's such a lovely song. It's peaceful. It's quiet. It's meaningful. Mm, beautiful, beautiful song. For me, I love some of the non-traditional stuff. The entire album that Louis Armstrong made is just remarkable jazz and Christmas music coming together. It's beautiful. What about something non-traditional? You know, my favorite non-traditional is by Michael Jackson, Someday at Christmas, mm, and Give Love on Christmas Day. Uh, those two are my favorites. Hey, Donna, we're so grateful that you could make some time to talk about this uh, Mrs. Claus's writing contest today. We're grateful for your time. We're grateful for the effort from you and the folks helping Mrs. Claus out. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for the opportunity. That is Donna Johnhead, and we will make sure that the website for the contest with all the details goes up on the blog after the show ami.ca slash now ami.ca slash now coming up after the break we'll take a moment to reflect on the life and legacy of angela lansbury who passed away yesterday at 97 96 years old and we'll have a sports chat with brock richardson this is now with dave brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, October the 12th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show. Automation and artificial intelligence are being touted as a new way of delivering disability services. But are they really viable? Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller will contemplate that question with me. And we'll get into the weeds a little bit in regards to Bill C-11, the federal government trying to regulate Canadian content online. Kevin Shaw has some thoughts about that one, so we'll try there as well. Pretty much standard operating procedure on Now with Dave Brown. Just before we bring in Brock Richardson for the sports chat, I do want to maybe bring things down a teensy tiny bit here. Although when someone passes away, at 96 years old, it's not really a tragedy. It's a celebration of life. Award-winning actor Angela Lansbury has died just before her 97th birthday. Lansbury won five Tony Awards for her Broadway performances, but she was perhaps best known as the crime-solving novelist Jessica Fletcher in the hit TV series Murder, She Wrote. In a 1991 interview, Lansbury said audiences found comfort in the character. She's such a friend of so many families in this country. So many youngsters have literally grown up with her. And not only that, but there's something about that character and that form, that genre of the closed-end mystery, which is very calming. It's very reassuring. 
Murder, She Wrote ran for 12 seasons from 1984 to 1996. Theater critic David Rooney with The Hollywood Reporter says Lansbury always conveyed a combination of sophistication and whimsy. You know, she was an interesting presence from the beginning. If you look at her in her second film, National Velvet, where she's playing opposite Elizabeth Taylor as her sister, you know, she could be her aunt. She could be any age. She never really looked young. She always had this kind of incredibly worldly, sophisticated veneer about her. Of course, Lansbury also happened to be an incredible singer. And my favorite Lansbury role was as the singing teapot in the animated film Beauty and the Beast. Taylor's old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Certain as the sun Rising in the east, tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty and the beast. Still hits this beast right in the feels every time I hear that one. When I used to work at a video store in the early 2000s, I would work the Saturday morning shift. There were only so many videos that you really wanted to play on the screens that were kid-friendly, but I still enjoyed. So Beauty and the Beast was in the regular rotation for me. Fun fact about that Beauty and the Beast animated film. It was the first ever animated film to be nominated for Best Picture. Not Best Animated Film. Best Picture. Straight up. That movie still slaps. I have no idea why they bothered to make that Emma Watson live action version a couple years ago. Well, I do. It was about money. But my goodness, that original animated Beauty and the Beast, that is Disney at its finest. Finest. Maybe Aladdin. We move on. But rest in peace, Angela. Rest in peace. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, in about two to three minutes, we're going to have some real fun in the hockey world. But before we have our dessert, we must eat our vegetables because the Hockey Canada story continues to evolve. And there was some huge news that broke yesterday. Yes, there was. And that is the fact that the uh, board of directors have all stepped down and, uh, I believe, made the right decision in uh, stepping down. Again, I'm not sure whether this was uh, perpetuated by the fact that basically all the sponsors have said, until you do something, we're not going to uh, fund you. And as I've said many times during this conversation regarding Hockey Canada, Hockey Canada was starting to feel to me like they were feeling invisible and nobody could touch them until such time the money was taken straight out of their hands and they said no mas on this one and again i think this is the right decision which begs the question i'm going to ask you if this was the only change done with hockey canada and they made uh you know sweeping changes with new board members and all that 
would you be satisfied or is there something more that you need to see beyond this? I would say the pool is pretty tainted. This one potentially goes beyond the board. We're talking about changing hockey culture here. And I don't know if just changing a couple board members out will do that. The, The damage to the brand is done. And by the way, frankly, who cares what damage to the brand was done? I care about the victims who were involved in a series of assaults across many years that were either swept under the rug or brushed off by the organization. So I don't think changing up the board is the answer here. It's a bigger question about hockey culture more generally. But Brock, what do you think? Yeah, this is not the end of the conversation. This is just the beginning. We are just scratching the surface. A lot of people have said, you know, do you change the name? Again, a name is a nice little coat of paint you put over top of something but it's still under so we need to see some fundamental um, changes some policy rewriting some you know actions being taken this is the first action where i can point to and say that's something concrete that i can hold on to and see change with hockey canada but we are not yet done this conversation and yeah i think there's just deeper things that need to be done. And the first question is, who do you put now as the uh, newest chair of the board? And to me, the first name that comes to my mind is Dr. Haley Wickenheiser. And I think that's someone that I would at least approach uh, regarding this. I'm not saying that she's perfect. Nobody is. But certainly with her credibility in sports and Maybe she can be uh, the voice of change that uh, was not Andrea Skinner. And, uh, yeah, that's my kind of thoughts of of who you would slide into the board. That's a tough spot. That's a tough spot to slide into because you're still dealing with the crisis. Even even if you're the new person in there, you become the person tasked with cleaning up the culture. And uh, that's going to be it uphill battle I, I would feel I, I'm going to feel bad for whoever whoever ends up taking uh, these leadership roles but certainly uh, Dr. Wickenheiser would be a very very good choice Brock that's our vegetables we can't talk about hockey today without at least touching on what's going on with Hockey Canada but let's actually talk about Canadian hockey fans who coast to coast are going to start getting their taste of regular season NHL hockey tonight. The Leafs are in Montreal for a tilt with the Habs. We'll react to that tomorrow. But let's do a little sneak preview of the three teams out west. We didn't know where to put Winnipeg, so Winnipeg is going to get looped in with the eastern teams tomorrow. So today we're doing Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary. Which one do you want to start with, Brock? Let's do uh, Edmonton, since they're a team that we are going to see this evening. Um, Again, this is a team that has great talent. uh, Connor McDavid, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the list goes on and on. The biggest difference that I see with this team this year is that you actually have a decent goaltender in Frederick Anderson. God bless Mike Smith. God bless what he did. He's not your number one guy. I know Frederick Anderson has had wait, wait, struggles. Uh, Jack Jack Campbell. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Jack Campbell. That's that's sorry. My apologies. That's uh, okay. Jack Campbell. K- Carolina fans are about to get their hackles up on you there, bro. Yeah, right. I was like, hold on. So, yeah, that. Yeah, Jack Campbell. My apologies. Um, yes, that is a goaltender that has had 
his uh, struggles with that, um, uh, with the Leafs. But I think a lot of goaltenders have had struggles with the Leafs. This is makes it so that there is a bona fide starter in uh, Edmonton. Again, God bless Mike Smith, but he's not your guy. It's just a question of what can we do with all of this talent that is in Edmonton? Can they finally put it all together with the pieces they have? We'll see. But it is a very talented team. And maybe now with a solidified goaltender, we can see that uh, moving forward. It's a good brand of hockey. It, it's not always a winning brand of hockey, but it's a good brand of hockey. And it's an exciting brand of hockey. I wish more teams played like the Edmonton Oilers. Brock, if we were to put the expectation line on the Edmonton Oilers going into the season, what do you think? Conference finals? Yeah, to me, they've got to run it back uh, to the conference finals, uh, at least. Um, they are a talented team. You know, uh, I there's lots of scoring available to them. Um, I, I think they're going to be able to do it this year. The question is, can, can they put it all together and keep injuries sort of off uh, the table, which you're going to have injuries as teams. But with this team now growing and getting older... You can no longer say, oh, they're young, they're kids. They've been here. They need to run it through and maybe be one of Canada's best chances to uh, win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they're definitely in the sort of the one-two conversation in regards to the teams that are uh, in the front of the line here. A team that had a really interesting 12 months from an overachieving season to a devastating playoff loss to total roster turnover in the summer was the Calgary Flames. Brock, what are you thinking is the big story heading into this year for the Flames? Uh, There is a bunch of big stories. For me, it's we've added Jonathan Huberto. We've added uh, Nazem Kadri. We've extended Daryl Sutter. All of these things are good. The question I have and the concern that I have with Calgary is can Daryl Sutter manage all of that talent? The other concern that I have with with Calgary is the following. Nazem Kadri has a tendency to play, you know, beyond the lines of hockey. And Daryl Sutter, in my mind, is not going to put up with that. He is a very no-nonsense coach. So to me, that is a little bit of a storyline there with them, and we'll see how it all shakes up. But there is a lot of talent in Calgary, and that's why I said just a few minutes ago that Edmonton is one of my Stanley Cup you know, favorites if, from a Canadian team perspective because Calgary is right up there with them in the talent they have. They have great goaltending in Jake Markstrom. It's, there's a lot of good things. It's just whether you can put it all together and make it happen over an 82-game season, and we'll soon find out. But out west, you got some good hockey coming at you. They aren't flashy. The thing about the Flames is they aren't flashy, but they can do a lot of things, and they can do a lot of things right. Incredible depth on defense. That's a Jeff Rymanism right there. Depth, depth. But they, one through six in terms of their defensemen, are all solid NHL defensemen who come with upside, like come with offensive upside. Uh, Shillington is just an incredible hockey player. Incredible hockey player. Noah Hannafin has for a long time been one of my favorite defensemen in the whole league. There's just so much interesting talent up and down 
that roster that isn't necessarily the household name talent. Most of that talent went away during the offseason for the Calgary Flames. But it's a it's a good team that over that I think that I think exceeded expectations last year. Now there's a roster turnover. We'll see how that goes for them. But yeah, they were a team that was just really compelling to watch last year. What do you think the expectation line is for Calgary, Brock? I would say it's probably just making the playoffs. Like the goal here is to make the playoffs, maybe get to the second round. And I know some folks are gonna say I'm underselling that, but I'm also acknowledging that to get to the final four is difficult yeah i i think in my mind i think you are underselling it a little bit i do see where you're you're coming from and that hockey gets challenging to play you know even even through the first round and beyond that gets challenging with the new you know the new ish format of the national hockey league and that um it's challenging you have some some deep matchups uh right from the beginning of the playoffs if you're not number one your two three matchup in a lot of these divisions can be very very challenging and i i do think calgary uh can be competitive for this i i wouldn't mind seeing another um yeah edmonton calgary matchup i loved that last year i think it would be rinse repeat and wonderful and we'll see what happens again this year but man some of those atmospheres out west can make all of the difference in hockey and yeah. i love to watch it no doubt about that one okay Brock let's finish up on the Vancouver Canucks a team that got off to a terrible start last year fired their head coach and slowly scrapped their way back into the playoff contention and fell a little bit short but there are a lot of questions swirling around this team this year i.e. I'd say the biggest one Elias Pettersson this is supposed to be a top flight NHL super duper star and he has not looked like that the last couple of years yeah no he's not and and I mean, if if Vancouver can, you know, sort of hit on all the right notes and do what they can do, um, including Patterson, I think that they can be sort of in the mix. I certainly do not think they are a contender for, you know, top Canadian Stanley Cup final. I don't I don't see that. Uh, but they are an interesting team. They do have. Uh, some injuries uh, to start the season. Brock Besser with an injury, who's day-to-day. Ilya Mikheyev with an injury. Uh, there are some injury issues, but if this team can kind of get on a bit of a roll and sustain it all through the season and not go on that last little flashy run that they did to try to get in, if they can be consistent all through the season, you can see them sneak into maybe that third spot, maybe a wild card, but I certainly don't see them going deep, deep into the playoffs if they happen to get there. I don't, just don't see them having the 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 depth uh, as you know we've talked about. I don't see them having the depth as some of the other Canadian teams do. And as we get into talking about some of the other Canadian teams tomorrow, there are some concerns in some other ones that we're going to discuss. But <laughs> But Vancouver is... One of those ones I'm like, can you be there? Yes. Are you going to be there? I'm not so sure. Not the worst team in Canada. Not the best team in Canada. Somewhere right there in the muddy middle for the Vancouver Canucks. People keep telling me Thatcher Thatcher Demko, their goalie, is a top 10 goalie in the league. I don't see it. but uh, I don't see it either. Yeah, I don't don't know where where that comes from. Then they they throw analytics numbers at me. I'm like, he loses. All he does is lose. I like my goalies that win. Although that sounds kind of Trumpian, so we should leave it there. Brock, thank you for this, buddy. Enjoy the Leafs and the Habs tonight. 
Thank you so much, and I apologize to Carolina fans for uh, taking their goalie. Freddie Um, Anderson, his collarbone might snap just thinking about what you said. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of the Neutral Zone. Alex Smythe is here. He has the National Weather Updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers this morning, but then clearing up in the afternoon, the high is 10. Over in Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny and a high of 16. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's foggy this morning, but then sunny in the afternoon and a high of 18. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's sunny with increasing cloudiness with a high of 16. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers and a special weather statement is in effect for winds that can reach up to 90 kilometers per hour. So be careful out there with 18 being the high. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there's heavy showers today with up to 25 millimeters expected and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is 17. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's cloudy with a chance of showers this morning and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour with the high being 10. Over to Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour and 12 is the high. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's clouds clearing for sunshine with 14 being the high. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly sunny and 13 is the high. Over to Whitehorse, Yukon, it's cloudy with periods of rain and the high is 12. Kelowna, BC, it's beautiful, it's sunny, and 21 is the high. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's sunny and a high of 18. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, the federal government is trying to regulate Canadian content online with Bill C-11. Kevin Shaw has some thoughts on this one, and so do I. So we'll chat it out after the break. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The federal government, the CRTC and stakeholders are trying to figure out how to manage Canadian content in the digital world. The Senate is currently scrutinizing Bill C-11 and the complexity of regulating the digital space. Let's just say it's coming into focus. Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez has already been butting heads publicly with Google over their objections. The bill does come with some potential opportunities for Canadian content creators. So let's bring in Kevin Shaw for his thoughts on the bill. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Great to chat with you once again. Thank you for making time today. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So, Kevin, I wanted to start with your general feeling on Bill C-11. I know I didn't do sort of the full in-depth in the weeds setup there, but what's your take on it? Well, look, nobody asked for it. Nobody wants it. Nobody needs it. Um, this is kind of a classic case of government overreach into, you know, this new scary world of, 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 uh, you know, digital internet content that they don't really understand. And, and I don't think that they should be involved with at all. 
Yeah, my general vibe is that trying to regulate the digital space, it, it can get really thorny really quickly. And it begs a question of who exactly qualifies as regulatable content maker and what precisely makes content Canadian. This question is maybe like a little bit Captain Obvious here, but have we entered an era where trying to put the digital toothpaste back in the tube is too daunting? Well, look, every every form of media has displaced the, the form of media that came before it. So TV displaced radio, radio displaced print. Um, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of, uh, you know, newspapers, uh, the daily newspapers that we have now dis, uh, d- disrupted, you know, tabloid news. So um, we're, we're, in an, we're in an age now where, uh, you know, the, the, the mule has left the barn and, um, we can't really we can't really close the door now. Um, Netflix is here to stay. Uh, Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and YouTube and and all of TikTok and all of these other platforms they're here to stay. Um, and deciding to now go and regulate them, I think, is a little bit uh, too little, too late. Yeah, the, the the way in which content is already spread and is and is especially in the last couple of years really stretched across so many different platforms. It it definitely speaks to the fact that you're going to have a very difficult time trying to get all these stakeholders on board. So, Kevin, is and, you uh, go ahead, please? No, I was going to say, and when and when YouTube creators, Canadian YouTube creators, can can put up a video that gets more views than you know, the CBC on a Saturday night, um, that's telling. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I, I, I think about a lot of people who I follow inside the social, I'm going to call it the social media space or the mm-hmm. new media space yep. who are Canadians, but they're not necessarily telling a Canadian story. It's not a financial advisor from Moose Jaw. It's a dude who talks about blue chip stocks who lives in Montreal, who just does right. a really good job. You know, like it sure, doesn't sure, like, sure. And, and like that is in theory, that is Canadian. It's a Canadian making the contents, but I wouldn't call it Canadian content other than the fact that he's just talking about uh, some very lucrative Canadian investments. Yeah. Uh, and I know like the open media guys have been, they've been all over this and in, in terms of pointing out the fact that you've got to cross uh, check six of these ten boxes in order to be considered Canadian content. So, so for example, like, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, that's not Canadian content, even though it's, it, you know, it's a story told by a Canadian. Um, one of my favorite movies, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, set in Toronto with a Canadian lead actor, not Canadian content, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, as you said, this 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 feels a little bit like maybe we're trying to uh, overreach. We're trying to uh, navigate a space that is very unnavigatable. What are some mm-hmm. of the drawbacks in the way that this that this bill is currently constructed and being messaged? Well, this is this is going to hit this is going to hit the the viewer and the consumer the hardest because now instead of going to your TikTok feed or going to your Instagram or your your YouTube feed and seeing just the content that the that the service gives to you, um, the CRTC has mandated that you've got to fill that with Canadian content. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I like I like good CanCon, but uh, at the same time, I, I think that that's going to bubble up a lot of, uh, you know, let's just say mediocrity. Um, and just just plain old stories that people aren't aren't interested in and content that people aren't interested in. Um, and I think that's harmful to to creators. So I'd, 
I'd push back a little bit on that one because I, I do think there is some merit here for content creators. I, I do understand the criticism of some mediocrity, especially in the world of Canadian TV, probably until about sort of 15 years ago when production costs finally went down, when it cost less to make an actual professional-looking television mm-hmm. show. Digital has absolutely changed the way in which people can make this content. Oh, for sure. And, and I do do think about the oftentimes criticized Canadian content regulations in regards to music because there have been some genre explosions in Canada that were largely fostered by Canadian content regulations. I think about the hard rock explosion of the yep. late 90s, you know, bands yep. like Our Lady Peace and Matthew Good yep. Band and Moist and the Tea Party, I Mother Earth, like just the, the entire lineup of Edgefest, like just incredible, mm. incredible stuff. And even now, when you look at sort of the explosion of people like Drake and The Weeknd, and people can yeah. quibble whether or not they like Drake or The Weeknd, but it's super popular music. And it is bringing a lot of spotlight to Canadian producers and Canadian musicians and bringing places like Toronto and Vancouver, Montreal on the map. So I do think there is merit here from a structural point of view. But I mean, obviously, I I am open to being pushed back on that a little bit. So so here's my thing. The reason we like Drake and we like The Weeknd and we like Rush and we like all of these, you know, Canadian bands that, that kind of you know, live on in our collective consciousness is because they made excellent music. Uh, the reason that, that, you know, Linus Tech Tips, which is this YouTuber out in Vancouver who just does videos about computers, the reason he's got, you know, multi-millions of, of subscribers is because he produces excellent content that people actually want to watch. And when you've got Canadian content rules that are saying, hey, here's some boxes that you need to check off, are we are we checking off boxes or are we actually creating great stories that people want to engage with? Yeah, it's 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 certainly a fair criticism. I I, I will grant you that one. And again, as I'm going to use a cliche here, I'm going to use a platitude. Certainly, devils are in the details here, right? Like, how are you actually boosting up this platform stuff? Because I don't right. just want to see Kim's Convenience or Shit's Creek like as sure. that number one thing on my algorithm yep. every time. Like, at least that they're going to do this. I want to see some like interesting original content popping up. Sorry, I've got. Computers yelling at me here. So <laughs> you got Dave Brown and computers yelling at you. That's that's, right. how, that's how these things go sometimes. Hey that's Kevin, live TV. For yeah, you. That's live TV through and through. Hey Kevin, let's just shift gears here for a quick second because I want to yeah. hit you with a thought because you are very much into the technology world, the technology space, the development space. Mm-hmm. I I want to ask you a question because I think you can offer me some professional perspective. Two of my favorite apps just went through a big redesign. Spotify and Hotels.com both mm-hmm. drastically changed their user experience and their layouts, and it irked me for different reasons. To <laughs> keep it keep it sort of simple, in the case of Spotify, they just changed their navigation. Everything's blocky and bulky and clunky now. It wasn't. It's not as smooth. It's not as easy to find what I'm looking for, which shouldn't be that hard because it's stuff that I subscribe to. You know, like it shouldn't sure. be it shouldn't be hidden away from me through weird like weird blocky design. And in the case of in the case of uh, hotels.com, this is more of an accessibility thing. The accessibility mm-hmm. settings on my phone, in terms of uh, font size and screen zoom, the app just absolutely destroys those now. Like it does not work. It's not compatible. It's not usable. Right. So, Kevin, from your experience working in this space, I'm I'm genuinely curious. 
it's a long preamble, but I'm a, am I a Luddite who's afraid of change? Or is there an inherent risk when a company decides to redesign an app or a website? Well, you, you hit on a really good point there, and, and that's the word risk. Uh, you know, before risk was, you know, do we have our data on Canadian servers? Are we, you know, are we backed up? Are we protected against, uh, you know, lawsuits, that kind of thing. Usability and accessibility now are falling into that risk category very, very quickly. Because if, if other users like yourself, uh, you know, either with or without a disability, look at the interface and go, well, this is really blocky and really clunky and I'm not going to use this thing anymore uh, because they've hidden away features all of a sudden you've got churn on that on that platform and people are going to are going to jump to something else or not use the features that um, you know that it, that that investors or that the companies invested dollars into into making um, you know i i like the the apple aesthetic of design of being clean simple and intuitive um, and not a lot of companies understand that in terms of uh, relating that back to back to risk and risk assessment. So, um, you know, the squeaky wheel gets gets the grease, as as we say, and <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, raise hell and and complain to. Uh, <laughs> to hotels.com I have. and Spotify. I have. I they, it's it's so funny. I logged into the app this week and they said, "Hey, you yeah. should review us in the App Store." Oh, and I sure did. <laughs> they got a yeah. they they got a review all right. But uh <laughs> Spotify's lucky cuz I have like a thousand songs downloaded and like built right. into playlists so they they're not going to churn me away just because of the fact that I've already devoted so much work into building Spotify playlists. Right, right. <laughs> What do they call that? The sunk cost fallacy? I think I think that's a shining example right there. Hey, Kevin, we're so grateful for your time today. Thank you. I'm so glad that we're talking to you every couple of weeks. So enjoy this month, and we'll talk to you in November. For sure. Cheers. Cheers. That's Kevin Shaw talking a little bit about media, technology, business. Looking forward to having Kevin on as a regular guest here on the show. Coming up next, we'll talk about automation and artificial intelligence. Some folks are saying, man, this is the future in how we can deliver disability services. But I have some questions. I have some concerns. Marco Pasqua, Elizabeth Moeller, and I will bounce that one around the table. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. You have no doubt been hearing about the prospect of automation, artificial intelligence, and technology as a better way to deliver services. Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, you know him, he's been showing off their general purpose robot, Optimus, and touting the potential that robotics will hold moving forward. At an event, Optimus was watering plants and dancing and moving metal at a Tesla factory. There has been some speculation that AI and robotics could also be a new way to deliver disability services. Let's contemplate that with Elizabeth Moeller and Marco Pasqua. Hey, good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Dave. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, indeed. And hello, Marco. Hello, hello. <laughs> so, Marco, this, this topic actually came from your mind. So I'm curious why you were so yeah. interested in, in jumping into this conversation. 
Well, you know, like him or not, I always follow what Elon's up to just because it's an interesting thing to see a billionaire who's got uh, technology at his fingertips. And so I watched the AI Days event, and I have to tell you, uh, you know, I was a little underwhelmed with what the robot currently is doing, dancing and watering plants, <laughs> as you say. Uh, but I but I do see potential in the industry overall. Uh, in fact, the article that I shared prior to today's show, um, there is an organization called ID Tech X that believes that the service robot market will expand further and surpass $70 billion US by 2032. Wow. And most of that that's in logistics and delivery services. So that's an interesting one to me because that's services I don't mind robots, uh, you know, necessarily supporting us with. It is that human connection piece that I do have a bit of concerns with, for sure. Uh, let's start here, guys. Elizabeth, what's your experience been like with automation thus far? Self-checkouts or computerized check-ins? You know what? It's a it's a double-edged sword. So self self check-ins are often not accessible for somebody with a visual disability. I can't I won't speak for other disabilities, but for me it's a touch screen. There's no voice. Quite often when you get to a self checkout, there's no one around because or or a, sec, a, a check-in at an airport because they're assuming you don't need uh, a staff person. So not only are you stuck with this very inaccessible machine, it's more difficult to get help. So they're mm. they're using that as a way to sort of shorten um, the the requirements to have staff on site. But then again, at the grocery store, self-checkouts are not very accessible either with the touch screen. Now, I, I will say, I will pause here and say that some aspects of automation, certainly for me as somebody with a disability, have been a huge game changer. So, you know, the the Amazon's Echo.Alexa or the, the Google Home have been huge game changers. So, for example, being able to, to read books through Audible or being able to have your lights controlled or being able to have your coffee maker controlled mm. or, yes, you know, even yes. simple. Yes, Marco, I'll, I'll come over for some uh, smart made coffee after the show. But, you know, you know, kidding aside, for some folks, being able to, to lock their own door using their voice or control the temperature in their home. Those are, those are really, um, you know, I, I read an article that talked about your convenience is my access. And it's an older article from 2018, but it really said, hey, these devices were brought onto the market for convenience because let's face it, we all like doing one less thing, but it's opened up a world for people. And, and certainly for me, being able to read the Globe and Mail uh, via my smart device or being mm. able to switch on a light, I'm, I'm almost totally blind. So even knowing is the light on is a huge game changer. So I, I am always optimus or optimistic about these uh, about these technologies. I don't like the self check-ins or check-outs, but no. if we added some audio to that, I think it could be a real potential as long as again that isn't taking away from from jobs, which does concern me yeah. of course. Yeah, much like anything, right? There's always going to be some back and forth. There's going to be positives and negatives. I even think about the robotic vacuums, right? I'm, I'm oh, someone I have who, a Roomba. Yeah, I'm I'm someone who does not like yeah. to vacuum my floor. I although I don't have one of those fancy robot vacuums. I just I just, I just, you know, bite the dust and I do it. No pun intended. Uh, that's how she goes. Marco, what's your experience been like with automation and artificial intelligence? Well, I got to tell you, like, as you probably know, Dave, we've covered it on the show many times. My house is totally rigged with smart technology, smart lights, smart thermostats, um, even smart curtains in my uh, in my daughter's room um, and, and lights on her crib to make it easier for me, right? So that type of thing I really have no issue with. And personally for myself, um, I completely dislike those self-checkout uh, situations. And I think about friends who have even less dexterity than I do. Um, friends who potentially their own 
only point of social interaction for the entire day may be with interacting with somebody at a grocery store um, and that person then supporting them to put items into a bag and help them get back to their car. You know, these are things where it's not just about the actual service itself of putting items into a bag and taking it over to a vehicle. That sounds like something that a robot could do, but it's that piece of understanding and empathy where somebody's actually getting a connection point throughout the day. And I worry as a civilization that we're going to get further and further away from human connection as we rely on things strictly for convenience. So in my experience, I don't necessarily utilize, um, you know, a care aid, but I certainly get frustrated when I go into a Walmart and now I'm doing the job of a clerk. Um, I feel that there should be actually a discount if you use self-checkout versus using a regular till simply because you're doing 90% of the job. Yeah, you're just <laughs> you're just noticing a lot of stuff that, that's changing, right? Things that have been in place for years and years are being disrupted by tech. Elizabeth, you are observing uh, some of these automated, uh, is it Amazon uh, vehicles that are buzzing around the yes. city? Yes, yes. So it's actually uh, Loblaws. So oh, pardon it's me, a- sorry. That's okay. You know, one big company or the other, what what does it matter, right? So it's actually a (laughs) self-driving truck that was launched last Wednesday on specific roads in Toronto. So they have to be sort of open roads, roads where there's not a lot of forks or traffic. But I'm excited about the potential, and we're already starting to see things like that with Uber, right, where you can order order a car. You could even program now with Uber in advance, like do you want music in the car? Do you want a quiet ride? Do you want the windows down? So you can pre-program that. So like Marco said, that's less talking to the driver when you get in, so that's less of that interaction piece because you're pre-programming programming everything in advance. I think for me, the self-driving car really makes me excited. It's the one thing that I feel really prohibits me from being fully independent Mm -hmm. is I don't drive, right? So great. I live in Toronto, but what if I want to go out of the city or I want to go to uh, a part of Toronto that's not as accessible by transit? So it's the one area where I do, I do think self-driving cars would be really helpful. But again, there's a lot of sort of safety risk to to be uh, thought about too. And I think, you know, the other thing about um, just the empathy. I thought it was really interesting that, that you brought that up, Marco, because when I was in job search, there was an app that I actually used to do interviews, to practice simulated interviews. And the app would give me feedback and my job counselor feedback. And what was really cool is it would pick up on things like tone of voice, or were you answering the questions mm-hmm. too quickly, or were you too abrupt? Mm. So it was actually teaching me some of those you know, skills that I was going to need if I was to be successful in an interview. That's that's fascinating. There's been uh, what's been described as a Cambrian explosion in regards to the development of artificial intelligence related to robotics in the last couple of years that mainly has to do with intuition, that the algorithms Mm. are actually learning and developing an, an intuition and the ability to make decisions and create. There are several commentators who believe that there will be a Billboard Top 100 hit that is purely a construction of artificial intelligence inside the next two years. So this is one of these things where we think about the robotics as something that is going to be replacing rudimentary things. Guys, as creative people, the robots are coming for us too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Dave, Dave, you know that I uh, I featured uh, the Dali 2 uh, on a show in the past. Yeah. We talking a little bit about that and the creative aspect of that. That's really fascinating. But I got to tell you, those creative elements, if you ever watch uh, um, the YouTube channel Netflix is a joke, they have a sub-series where they have 
um, certain scripts that were written completely by AI bots, and then they actually have um, 3D depictions of what's going on. And I got to tell you, as hilarious as those stories are, and I will watch them over and over again, they are somewhat nonsensical, and so they're worth a laugh, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to be the next Scorsese. <laughs> they're not, you know? they're so, not, yeah, they're not coming for us uh, just yet. I don't know how if, if yeah. Marty if Marty didn't like the Avengers, I don't know how he's going to feel about the AI movie directors making their moves. <laughs> I, I, I want to bring this back to disability a little bit here, though, because yes. obviously people are talking about the prospect of, hey, this is a new way of developing dis- delivering disability services. Marco, how would you feel about a robotic PSW, for example? Well, you know, as I said, it's really difficult to kind of say that. I mean, honestly, um, there is the element of lacking human error, which I think is incredible. So if a, if a robot learns something, it's definitely not going to make the same mistake twice in theory. Um, you know, so it would be very, very good at things like transfers from a bed to a wheelchair, um, pushing you from point A to point B, uh, much like Elizabeth said, and using that, um, you know, self-driving technology, it could be driving you, it could be pushing you and taking Taking you places, um, but I, I'm I'm going to continue to go back to the aspect of connection and people. You know, uh, uh, Elon Musk's robot Optimus is said to be more human-like than any of the other robots that are out there. And if you look at some of the robots through Boston Dynamics, they're doing incredible things as far as articulation and movement of objects and things of this nature. But I'm really hoping that we could take almost an AI approach to machine learning where. You know, it could be, I mean, chatbots are huge in Japan right now, Mm. right? In terms of uh, boyfriends or girlfriends or partners, that kind of thing. And those are completely AI. So can we take and pass the Turing test if we we take AI, uh, a brain like that, and put it into a robot with great articulation? Can we simulate friendship? Can we simulate that with great quality service? I don't know if I've seen it quite yet, but I don't want to completely rule it out. I just still think that we should keep our our human friends close and maybe keep an eye on our AI friends at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Elizabeth, I asked Marco a question sort of more specifically about about a mobility PSW, but what about something Mm -hmm. within the blind and low vision community like a robotic guide dog? Yeah, I mean, as somebody that doesn't use a guide dog, I, I, I guess what I would say is, again, the, the piece around human error, right? Like, you know, how, how well can you train it? But I, I, I want to go back to something, you know, care is such relational work, right? And I think there's aspects of care that a robot could do really, really well, like Marco said. And, and it was interesting because in that, that Optimus uh, article, they talked about that Optimus doesn't have great dexterity. So certain elements of care work, you would really need that. So again, we have this PSW shortage. So could a robot potentially fill some of that? Yes, I think so. Would it maybe be less embarrassing to have a robot performing some tasks? I don't know. Things to think about. I think one of the things that, that, I think about a lot with with robots is what happens when they break down. So back to the guide dog example, mm. what happens when they break down? We had a Rogers outage here in the summer and we saw everything just crash. Like people were going to the yeah. bank and oh my goodness, getting cash and what calling on the phone for a taxi. But 
it really showed us how much we rely on the technology. So whether it's a guide dog, whether it's a PSW, we, we would always need some kind of a backup because I, I think for safety, if there was ever some kind of a, a blip, what would happen if we were fully relying on, on somebody, whether it was a guide dog or PSW in robot form uh, to, to care for us. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many O&M instructors over the years have told me you need to learn to do this properly because there might yes. be a time when your phone or your telescope yes. or your glasses or IRA doesn't work. Precisely. It's about those fundamentals. Yes. Marco, let's, let's use that as sort of the concluding thought. And I, I don't mean to force sure. this into a binary, right? Because we're just talking this out. We believe in the potential, but we also know there's the concerns. Is there a risk in the way in which technology is perpetually marketed to people with disabilities is saying, this is the solution to your problems. I know we were talking to Nelson Rago on Tuesday and a maker of a smart cane was like, this will replace the white cane. It's like, no man, it, it like it can't, it can't replace the $20 piece of metal that fundamentally works. No, and you've heard the saying before, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sometimes we don't necessarily need uh, a better a better coffee maker. Sometimes we don't necessarily need a better toaster, right? And so if technology works, and you have to think about that from a financial perspective as well, as you're saying, uh, Dave, we're, we're in tight times right now, uh, you know, with everything going on in the economy. And so we do need those solutions that are easy, that are maybe even something that we can print ourselves through a 3D printer, um, you know, and you can license some certain technologies. Sometimes it doesn't doesn't necessarily need smart homes. In fact, uh, I can't tell you the number of times where there's lights or certain things we have around our home where my wife is just like, you know what, I'm going to turn it off and on traditionally today. You know, like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can That's use funny. I can use my voice, but it's faster for me to just flick this light flick right now light. and have it work. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the, having a both options, I think is going to be really important. And I also don't want to have individuals in the disability community feel less than as though they only need an AI robot to make their life that much better. You know what I mean? Yeah. As well as not to mention the different jobs that could be taken away from individuals that for whatever reason, due to their challenges, dexterity issues, they're only able to uh, perform certain jobs out there in the industry. And now those jobs, uh, like uh, jobs for anyone else, are being slowly taken away. So there is a benefit there. But, uh, you know, I watched an episode of Rick and Morty um, the, the other day, and basically it was like these sentient dinosaurs come from space and they realize that, oh, they can take away all of the tasks that the humans have to do and humans you can just play nice by yourself and just live your life but what is the difference between just um you know living your like existing and actually living a life right mm. so i don't want to just exist in this world i want to contribute to this world and i want to make sure that ai robots aren't the be-all end-all to remove all aspects of contribution from anyone including those with disabilities I wish we had 20 more minutes, guys, but we do not. So I must say goodbye and bid you both adieu. Elizabeth, have a great week. You as well. And Marco, thank you for bringing this topic. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Dave. It's always good. That's Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller. You hear them as regular contributors on the show. And every couple of weeks, we'll catch up with them for a roundtable discussion as well. Coming up after the break, you'll find out what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon. Today, we'll know. Because Ramya is here. Well, I don't actually know if she's here. We're hoping she'll be here. If not, I have to skate for a couple minutes. It's okay. I'm ready. I'll tell you stories about Warcraft 2. Because I know you care about the computer games that I was playing into the wee hours in the morning. 
That's why you listen to the show, right? For my video game hot takes. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Just a couple of minutes left till the network says, get out of here. Get out of here, Brown. We've heard enough of you. Make way for other people. For real, they do that. Even if I'm talking at 10.58 a.m. Eastern time, it's gone. Poof. Into thin air you go, Brownie. And then I go off and live the rest of my life. Until tomorrow morning when I'm back at 9 a.m. Eastern time. While I'm gone, though, you should head over to AMI Audio and catch up with the gang at Kelly and Company, which comes your way at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Ramya Emuthan is the co-host of that show and joins us now for a preview. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of beans today. I'm, I'm on not a lot of sleep. I've been playing video games till the wee hours of the morning because I'm, wow, I'm nice. super cool uh, playing video games from 1997. Yeah, that's, retro that's, cool. That, that's how I be. That's how I be living. How does Kelly and company be living today at 2 p.m. Eastern time? Well, we're living like it's a Wednesday. So <laughs> when it comes to air travel, if your mind's on air travel these days, uh, we want to talk about how we can a couple tips, including how we can get improvements on our seats without having to pay extra money. Ooh. This is a potential, <laughs> says Margaret Weldon. This is her words. And she's going to tell us more about that on In the Know. And we're talking over to Saskatchewan. We're talking about a retired farmer who provided specialized equipment for a younger farmer with a disability. Um, and is kind of passing down the trade. So Jim Crisco is telling us more about that story. And something more serious happening around Ontario is the public health crisis, Dave. You know, ERs are closing. Mm. There's a more ripple effect with all of that. Nurses and uh, people, just everyone in front line, having a lot of challenges these days. So registered nurse Leslie Depot is going to tell us about the background, the context, and her own opinions and perspectives on this as well. It's one of the things that makes your show so incredible. You guys can touch all the bases on your way around the world. So it's interesting to get all those topics in. And I want to know how Margaret can get me to that middle seat because uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fit so good in the middle seat. Yeah. You know, have you done that? Um, I want to call it bribe, but the, the, the thing bidding. these days where the, you can upgrade. Yeah, yeah the, the bidding. bidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've heard it's cool. I've heard it's cool, but I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. Ramya, we got to go. They're literally going to throw okay. me off the air. So you have yourself a nice day. Thank you. You too. That's Ramya Amuth and I'm Dave Brown. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I am reminding you, you know this one by now. Play safe, play. Oh, I messed it up. Play safe, play fair, play flip, play fair, play safe. But don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.